You're listening to the Limerick Post News Roundup. I'm your host, Keen Reinhardt. This is where we bring you the week's news in bite-sized portions, and I'm joined in studio by Head of News, Jerry Collison. Jerry, how are you getting on? Very well, thanks, Keen. Uh, I can see on the front page there a story from David Raleigh about uh, the Hannon Murder Review may lead to new Limerick cold case unit. This is one that, that arose from a march, a, a protest march uh, through Limerick City the last Sunday. Um, it was um, designed to draw attention to the fact of that there are a number of unsolved murders, um, people who've been looking for justice for some of them, maybe for the bulk of 20 years. Um, what was really um, memorable about this was the number of families and the number of broader communities that have been affected by these. And it's when you see them all together that you realize how many are there. But there was some um, positive developments arising out of the, uh, the march subsequent to it. And one of them was that the uh, new chief superintendent here, uh, Jerry Roach, had um, ordered a uh, complete review of the murder of uh, Jeffrey Hannon, a teenager from South Hill who was murdered brutally in 2007. Now, over the past... Um, 12 years or more, his father, Alan, has appeared in the paper, has appeared on TV, the whole lot, um, looking for people to come forward. He knows that people know about um, the circumstances surrounding his, his, son's, his son's murder. And he has been constantly campaigning to have uh, this case opened up and also for people to come forward with information. Um, one, of, one of the comments he made to, to David was that he sees these people walking around day after day in in the neighborhood and you know you can just imagine what sort of what sort of pain that 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 causes but one of the main demands or one of the main requests arising out of uh, Saturday's march um, was for the uh, establishment of a cold case unit specifically to look into these uh, Limerick murders now it was championed very much by um, Willie O'Dea the um, Fianna Fáil deputy who'd been on to the Garda commissioner uh, Drew Harris looking for this um, so it seems to have got some element of of, uh, of traction and um, the first of these cases that, that is going to be reviewed and it's an, a review of the investigation is that of Jeffrey Hannon so I'm sure that will come as uh, as good news and as some measure of encouragement to the families of the other murder victims. And uh, that story is on page one, continues on to page six, and then there's coverage of the march on pages 20 and 21, and you can just see with the photos there the scale of the protest. Absolutely, yeah, and, and David had gone along and he interviewed all the, the, there were five um, murders that he focused on. There's uh, Richard Happy Kelly, Declan Bennett, Lee Slattery, Jeffrey Hannon, and uh, there's more there on page 21, but he spoke to families affected by this. Absolutely, yeah. and you know, you, you can get some measure of, you know, the, the fact that this thing has been going on so long and these people are still badly affected by it. And then uh, over on the page four then, Jerry, uh, it's it's an issue that's been ongoing for some time now, but uh, the Irish cement, uh, there's another protest organised. Yeah, this comes in the wake of, of a decision um, by the uh, Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, where last Thursday, after a lot of deliberation and a lot of delay, they finally granted a license to Irish cement 
um, to burn waste, including tires and, you know, other waste in their uh, incinerator in um, in in um, Mungret. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been going on a while, but it seems to have have uh, reached boiling point now at this stage. Um, it would have um, taken people a while to react to it because, you know, there were quite a few of them thought that under no circumstances could the EPA uh, grant this license. So it seemed like as if a few of them were caught flat-footed. But, you know, they're fairly quick now in getting their reaction together. And there's a number of protests already organized. Um, the biggest one probably will be a, a protest march that will be taking uh, place from City Hall um, on Saturday week. That's Saturday, October the 5th. And um, also, I, one of the first ones actually is going to be uh, staged by the students at Mungret National School at noon um, next Wednesday, the, the 2nd. And, um, you know, Mungret National School, that would have seemed, seemed to be one of the more appropriate places because it's right in the shadow of the incinerator. And it also, um, it also involves young people and, you know, taken from the climate action uh, protests last week. You know, we all know that that young people are particularly exercised about this. And a lot of the signs that were carried that day were focusing on uh, the Irish cement situation as well. Yes, indeed. And you know, even though the license has been granted, somehow or another, I don't think that this is going to be the end of the issue. I think that the that the amount of protest that's there and the amount of different groups that are involved, I think they won't let this one go lightly. And it's been ongoing for some time now, and that story is available on page four of this week's paper. And then, uh, so there's news for uh, LIT's new campus, but uh, it's uh, some of the news surrounding the transport <laughs> isn't too positive, is it? Yeah, this more or less combines two different two different stories that that have been running for a while. One of them quite positive, and the other one quite negative. The positive end first is the fact that LIT are uh, gone all guns blazing and are making fantastic progress on the uh, development of their new campus out of Kuna. Um, you'll remember that this was um, part of the old Kuna Cross development. Most people would be aware of Tesco out there and all that. Well, most of them wouldn't be aware that there was a huge amount of building done at the back of that. So that building has all been repurposed and extended and all that to provide this new campus. So that's the good news. The not so good news is the fact that it focuses on something that has been a bone of contention for people in Limerick a long, long time. And that's the standard of public transport around the city and particularly you know, to places like UL, to places like LIT, MIC, the whole lot. With such a huge student population, it does seem that the public transport system is not fit for purpose. And this is underlined further by the fact that there'll be no bus service for the opening of the new LIT campus. That means that, um, you know, Kuna isn't exactly, uh, you know, a hop, step and a jump from the city. It's a nice little, nice little walk or bicycle ride or whatever. And the idea that there isn't a bus service serving um, a campus that's going to be base for, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of students seems, you know, it's not great planning at the very least. And also the fact that they're saying, well, you know, we'll review the whole situation when the campus is up and running, you know, but you know, people are fed up with this sort of thing. You know, it really needs a whole root and branch review of the public service, of the public transport in, in Limerick City. 
So if the review comes after the campus opens, surely there's going to be some traffic delays there for a while. Ah, look, I mean, it's absolutely crazy. You're looking at that and then, you know, hand in hand with that, we're talking about the completion of the um, Northern Distributor Road, you know, taking traffic, let's say, from the Clare side around towards the, towards the Dublin Road. It's going to be absolute chaos. Um, and, you know, it, it just seems so indicative of the lack of joined up thinking the lack of preparation you know that these people that these people have you know i think it's time for our for our public representatives to get real on this one to put some pressure on you know the 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 next generation the students and and the general public in limerick deserve better and that story is available on page 34 of this week's paper. Jerry, thanks very much for joining us. You're very welcome, Cian. I'm now joined in the studio by host of the Limerick Post Show, Megan Scully. Megan, how are you getting on? I'm very well, I have to say. It's been a really busy week considering I've only been here for three days of the week. Yeah, half a week and you were up the walls, I'd say. Yeah, it actually feels like it's been a really, really long week. I can't believe this time last week I was sunning myself in the French Riviera and it feels like a month ago. And I'm in the presence of a European type champion well look we may not have this trophy at home to prove it but we actually do have a trophy that we won that is somewhere in the French Riviera still Um, so if anyone is you know holidaying around that area or knows anyone keep an eye out for a lovely trophy and also a wallet yeah a few things to make it home. Give, give Megan a shout if you find either of those things in the south of France. Yes, please do. Megan, how has your week been so far? As I said, very busy. Um, Wednesday was jam-packed. We were chatting about the i.ny festival, which is coming up. Um, jam-packed basically kind of brings Irish and uh, New York together um, culturally, kind of through literature and everything. So some really cool stuff happening there. Uh, also interviewed John from Little Hours ahead of his gig in Dolan's last night. Um, he's so sound and oh, you know me, I have a weakness for accents. And to me, Donegal is an accent. So uh, I love chatting to him and obviously it's great performance as well. Um, and then we went to a book launch last night. It was Judy Curtin's uh, book launch, Lily at Lissadell, which took place in O'Mahony's. Some crowd at that, wasn't it? Very good crowd. Mm. And now today we have a very special guest coming to the studio. Um, but you're going to have to keep an eye on our social media to find yeah. out who that is. All I'll say is I think he might, might be Limerick's most loved man with a moustache. Me? I wouldn't, is that a moustache? <laughs> You've got sidebars. What is that actually called? I don't have a clue. It's just fucking whatever Mexican grew. kind yeah. of. Is there a word for it? <laughs> I don't have a clue. I think it's a goatee. Handlebars. Yeah. Handlebars. That's what it called? A handlebar moustache. Yeah. Right, we're you getting a bit off topic not, now, I think, are we? It's not Movember for another while, <laughs> just to let you know. <laughs> My Movember has been going on for the last few years. Uh, Megan, what, when can people find the show and where? Uh, so you go to limmerpost.e forward slash show. Um, you can also watch the video on our Facebook page, also on IGTV. And if you're on Twitter, you can search Twitter too as well. We'll share links to it and loads of content. And quite a few videos have gone up as well from um, the last couple of days. There's been a um, chat with Aoife O'Brien as an empowerment coach. There was also a video. with Your interview with Joy Neville. Joy Neville's up there as well, which mm. is really cool. Uh, loads of content. And then we've got some more stuff coming on the pipeline. In the next and we were weeks. in Copia Green yesterday. Yes, for their birthday. So happy One birthday, year, Copia yeah. Green. And uh, we also chatted to uh, the MD, uh, Pat and Cassia, who's the restaurant manager, all about that. Because they have something special lined up for the mm. future. Lovely menu. Mm. Very nice menu. Very nice menu. Uh, Megan, thanks very much for joining us. And have a lovely weekend. A busy weekend for yourself again. So I would say relax, but you never do. No, I'm actually working tonight and tomorrow night. I'm working in Daikon tonight. In Daikon. Um, I can't wait. So uh, no, a busy weekend, yeah. But look, it's it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Enjoy yourself, Megan. All right. Grameen all good. Slán. 
I'm now joined in studio by CEO of the Limerick Chamber, D. Ryan. D. thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on. How are you getting on? I'm not too bad now. It's been a very, very busy week. I know. It has been very busy. <laughs> um, earlier in the week, you met with uh, Megan Scully on O'Connell Street uh, to discuss the O'Connell Street rejuvenation plans. Now, councillors are due to vote on this on Monday coming. That's right. And the chamber has taken a stance on how they think the councillors should vote or the way they hope the councillors will vote. That's right. Uh, the chamber have been involved in looking at this project for a number of years, actually. And uh, it stems from the first iteration of these designs that were put on the table for stakeholders to consider. Gosh, it must be two years ago, um, at which time we would have engaged a lot with the council and with other other groups, other stakeholder groups to arrive at a, a joint submission on what was then a proposal for one lane of uh, of traffic. Um, and it was suggested that it would be a public transport lane to come up O'Connell Street. Those uh, designs were rejected. I don't think they even got as far as a council vote, as far as I know, but they, they, they were rejected and um, went back out for um, revision. And it's taken two years for the proposed designs that are on the table now in front of councillors to come back out for consideration. Um, the chamber has looked at them very carefully. We've discussed it clearly with um, our stakeholder members who are on O'Connell Street, as well as our wider membership, because the fate of Limerick City and the success of Limerick City is something that's of serious importance to a lot of our members, not just all, all of our members, but also to our very large members who are um, the largest employers in the region. People like um, the companies in the Raheen Industrial Estate out in Castle Troy. We've got members in Nina. We've got members in Shannon. We've got members in North Kerry and out in County Limerick. And the development of a thriving, a thriving urban centre for the Midwest is high on everyone's agenda as it is seen to everybody as a key asset for the region and something that would help to drive the economy in the region. Uh, one note you made there was the, the timing. So two years ago, the plans were there and they didn't make it this far. Yeah. But it seems like this discussion has been going on for a very long time. Since I moved to Limerick, people have been talking about what will happen with O'Connell Street and this point was made yeah. more than a decade ago previously. Yeah, and, and even going further back than that, um, there's been calls for improvements to O'Connell Street back to the 90s and the the chamber at that time and some prominent business people at that time can show you the designs that they had from the 90s, um, which envisaged something akin to what's on the table now. But the point is, it's taken us decades to be in a, the position that we're in on Monday, which is to green light and to actually approve funding and movement on this project. And that's what we're hoping that the Metropolitan Area Councillors will do when the vote is put to them on Monday. And is there a fear with the Limerick Chamber that if it's not approved now, the funding might be taken away? That's it. You put your finger on it. And um, I'm not trying to be scaremongering yeah. or to suggest otherwise. We have real examples of losing funding in this region. Um, we all know that the M20 project um, fell off uh, the national agenda at the last recession. Um, we uh, were we as did actually proposals for uh, um, an upgrade to O'Connell Street back in the noughties as well. And so we, we have very real concerns that if we delay any further, if we kick this can down the road any longer, that we may jeopardise the funding for it. And then uh, when we talk about the public, uh, people who will be using the space daily and so on, 
uh, a lot of them think the project isn't ambitious enough. What would you think about people saying that? Well, I, 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 first of all, I love to hear people's passion and ambition for Limerick and I share it. Yeah. And we are ambitious for Limerick in the chamber. Absolutely. Um, and so when we were putting our submission together, our economist, Dr. Katrina Cahill, would have worked closely with our stakeholders and we identified um other cities where they do public realm really, really well. Um, other cities where lighting has been used as a key feature to animate a street. And we made observations and suggestions that we will continue to make to the council um, uh, in relation to this project if it gets um, the go ahead. And what we're calling for is for the council to be as ambitious as possible in the detailed design, which is the next phase that will come if the project gets approval. So right now, a scheme of work is on the table for the councillors to approve. If that gets the go ahead, then that department in the council will work on the detailed des design and they will then look at the finishes. They will look at uh, the landscaping and the hardscaping. They will look at the lighting We've asked for a seat at that table and to be um, considered as key stakeholders in those consultations. I know that the councillors will be briefed on those designs before they go out to tender. So there will be another opportunity for people to see um, more detail on this design before it gets done. But we can't get to that point. We can't even have that conversation about the finishes and uh, and the, the moments within the design that will allow it to be really a, um, a transformative um, uh, design for Limerick and for O'Connell Street unless we approve the scheme on Monday. And uh, a lot of the businesses that you would represent would be based on O'Connell Street. Yeah. And there yeah. was issues arose about them not being able to expand because of the condition of the street as it is. Well, the feedback we're getting from some of our key members, um, we would have, so we've 450 member companies um, in total um, on our books. And these are people who put their hands in their pockets and pay for their membership every year. And part of what they get is this, what I'm doing for you now, um, which is uh, voicing their views. Um, of those members, 60 are in the retail and hospitality sector, the majority of whom are in the city. And they are feeding back to us that for the bigger ones who are owned um, internationally, that they have to fight hard for further investment into their stores um, because uh, their their owner, their parent companies will look and say, really, there, Limerick, that doesn't look like it's ready for more investment or that doesn't look like somewhere I should be investing my money. When are the local authority going to step up and do their piece? And then if we just briefly look to the reaction to the video online mm -hmm. that with, with Megan during the week, uh, there's one question here from Aaron O'Carlar, which says, uh, how is it good for business to allow cars drive through the street, but not park on the street? Are they just window shopping? I, I think people might be surprised to learn that the views of um, the retail and hospitality community would be very closely aligned to what what most ambitious and open-minded people would want for Limerick. We do want greater pedestrianisation. Absolutely. We do want to see a reduction in traffic on O'Connell Street. We would love if it was, we'd be very happy uh, at this point, and obviously we'd have to see it in context, um, but we'd be very happy if O'Connell Street was retained for public transport, bikes and uh, buses and taxis only. That would be that would be fantastic because overall it would be a huge reduction in the pollution 
in the area. It would make it a much nicer space and would give greater pedestrian priority. We wouldn't be prepared to go as far as backing proposals for full pedestrianisation or even partial pedestrianisation at this point because we don't think that the street is ready to take traffic off it completely. Um, I know uh, if you if you well, I know I was in Limerick City um, the day that the granny was in during the um, city of culture and it was an amazing um, it was an amazing day. But in the hours before she came onto O'Connell Street and after there was very little movement on O'Connell Street with when you take the traffic off O'Connell Street, it's a bit of a ghost town. Now, and and it pains me to say that because I'd love to see more vibrancy in the street. And I really feel that we can use this opportunity and this investment in the street to help um, to help do that, to animate it more. But currently, uh, we're of the view that if you take the traffic off Connell Street completely, we're looking, it's not, we're not ready for it. We think that it, it would actually not make the space attractive or not entice people into it. It would be too quiet at points. And certainly um, in the evenings at nighttime, you know, as a, as a woman, I'd be reluctant to walk down a fully pedestrianised four blocks on O'Connell Street at nighttime, you know. Yeah. I'd have security concerns there. Um, I just wouldn't feel safe. Um, so I think there are many reasons why we feel it's right to retain some vehicular use of o- O'Connell Street. And we're not prescriptive about what it is. We'd love it if it was public transport because it also fits well with our green agenda. We'd like to see people using and it being easier for people to use more sustainable um, methods of transport. So if, you know, if the outcome of the transport strategy, which is a document we're not likely to see in the next six months, but, you know, it could be this time next year when we get that document. But if the outcome of the work that the um, that the the consultants on that are doing is to recommend that O'Connell Street be retained for public transport route use, that's great news. You know, that would that would suggest that maybe there'd be uh, um, uh, an expedited journey time from from Corbley to Raheen. So wouldn't that be great? Maybe more people would be using buses. You know, we, we don't see that as a negative. So uh, another issue being raised by people is the lack of cycle lanes and cycle infrastructure throughout the city. Yeah, I can understand why people are raising that. It's a key concern. Limerick deserves a, a well thought out and well planned bicycle network. And we want that and we will be lobbying for that in our representations to the council for the transport strategy for Limerick City and County. We definitely want to see provisions for dedicated uh, bicycle lanes. We just don't think that they necessarily have to be on O'Connell Street. In fact, some people would say that Henry Street is a much better place to site those bicycle lanes because looking to the future, Henry Street um, might be a better place to link up a UL city centre campus with Mary Macla College and on out to LIT. So we're very much in favour of bicycle lanes, but we don't see them as being necessary um, on O'Connell Street. And we don't think that we should be holding up the development of the scheme until the transport strategy has determined where that should go. And then coming back to O'Connell Street, there's already some private investment there. So we see the Rugby Museum. And do you think it's lacking in O'Connell Street to accommodate someone, invest in so much in something like that? Well, this is a key concern. You know, the international rugby experience uh, is going to be a major tourism draw for Limerick. We are really, really fortunate that this is coming to our city centre. It's going to help us to enhance our tourism offering for the city. It's also going to be a reason for people to, sh- to fly into Shannon Airport because they will want to come and see this. Um, it's costing multiple millions and is obviously, you know, as we know, privately funded. 
I think that it is a, a missed opportunity for us not to set the scene and to improve the landscaping of that street so as to facilitate other private investment and so that all business owners on the street can actually capitalise on this opportunity of increased footfall that they're going to get now as a result of the uh, international rugby experience when it opens in 2020, in, nine, in 2021, I believe. And, and mentioning tourism there, so in 2026, Limerick is going to have an opportunity to advertise itself greater than any it's had in the past with the Ryder Cup. You couldn't buy the opportunity we're going to get in for in 2026 for the Ryder Cup. And that's why, you know, we'll take it one hurdle at a time. But if we can get this scheme passed on Monday from the councillors, then we're, we've already indicated to the council that we're coming straight back down the street to look for the extension of the scheme from outside the corner of the International Rugby Experience right up, up to O'Connell Avenue to uh, the O'Connell Monument um, because this is our moment. Exactly. Somebody described it uh, recently. I was in a meeting and someone said, it's like a wedding day, isn't it? Now we're planning for our <laughs> wedding in 2026. So yeah, so we need to get everything tidied and repainted and absolutely we need to put our best face forward um, to capitalise on that incredible opportunity in 2026. Dee, thanks very much for joining us in the studio. Thanks, Keen. And that video is available on limerickpost.ie. I'm now joined in studio by our arts editor, Rose Rush. Rose, how are you? Keen, I'm truly wonderful. Uh, I see in the paper this week the return of City and Soul. Yes, the, the last and final chapter in 10. Uh, listener, for the uninitiated, City and Soul has been an exploration I've done with respect to the city's less well-known institutions, how do they operate, what what they do that we, we're not familiar with, and the sole part is a look in then at the person who's leading it. So this week's model, Keen, you you'd a hand in it as well. I did it? indeed. Uh, we met with Boris Hunka from Music Generation Limerick, and on my side anyway, he showed me, he spoke to me about the sensory aspects of the room that they have on uh, their base on Cecil Street in the... You can pronounce it better than I can, Rose. Athenaeum. Athenaeum. <laughs> but uh, it was very, it was very interesting to see it, and it was nice to see that they're merging this uh, music therapy aspect to what they're doing in Music Generation Limerick. And Boris had this to say to me: It, it was created to uh, facilitate the increasing amount of uh, music therapy and therapeutic work we do. So it's designed to help, uh, no matter what the issue is, whether it's uh, to do with being on the spectrum or any other um, worry or concern people have, they can come in, they can escape it and they can use music as a way to harness their own creativity and express themselves and just follow wherever they want to go. And Rose, how did the interview go for yourself? Um, Like yourself, I was impressed by the sensory room and its elements of it are visible in your very beautiful photograph, Keen, on page 18. Thanks very much, Um, Rose. Usually I'm interviewing somebody over a desk or sitting on a hard bench in a pub. This is great stuff, reader, I'm not complaining. But um, uh, Boris leads me into this plush, padded, deeply carpeted, uh, velvet sofa, softly lit place. I said, oh my God, stop my heart. We have to do the photographs here (laughs) as my first action. So... Good luck to all music generationalists. Yeah, some things are going right for you. Boris had some very interesting things to say. I'm going to touch off first is their funding model. Uh, it really appalled me. I can say this. I'm external to music generation and I don't owe anybody any apology in what I'm going to say. Uh, they have to match euro for euro. Every one of their earnings in their subsidised uh, fees charged to schools and for classes um, with 
Music Generation Ireland will match that funding. And he makes a point that, that really the key big hit that they do in their many streams of education are working with mental health and music therapy as well. These are all contingent to the big pool of teens, primary school children, young adults and vulnerable adults who have reason to do with agencies such as 5B and UHL, uh, the prison school, uh, McGarry House, Headways, the charity who helps and coordinates and retrains people who are suffering from acquired brain injury. So they're involved in a great deal with respect to enhancing the human being and their appreciation and learning of music and the performance of music and with other people. But the funding model is, I have no idea how Boris Hunka manages to offer tuition and a music education with four and a half thousand students per year. That's a lot to take on. It is, because the planning inevitably has to be short-sighted because their big success is the Saturday Showcase in which from 10am on a Saturday morning into Athenaeum building, 60, 70, 80 uh, teenagers will pile in every day for an all-day session. And what Boris says is the teenagers do, they organise themselves in a very concerted manner and begin songwriting together or individually. And of course, there are musicians, uh, stroke tutors on hand to mentor, guide, lead, offer support. And he calls this the creativity-led model of music making. It's been immensely successful because they now have bands and individuals such as Hazy Hayes, such as Pow Pig. This is more your generation stuff, Keen. You can spell this <laughs> off the top of your head. I have to, you know, read my copy again. They're bringing out a second album. But he said, there's also such thing as we can charge this full day Saturday uh, to teenagers. He very nicely says, sure, look, if you try taking money off teenagers, you see the back of them. Yeah. They don't have it. Mm-hmm. So um, so that unit in which they offer teaching and support to up to 80 teenagers in a day, um, there's no pound per pound or euro per euro fund matching to that. And yet they have achieved extraordinary success with respect to fostering successful bands, uh, with helping people stay clear of trouble. Uh, I'm sure there's no doubt an element of finding romance as well. Uh, they're also making albums and the other thing they do is they're pioneering a mental health program working in tandem with 5B and with their own emotional awareness and having done sort of a pilot study with respect to student counselling in LIT. They're, They're bringing together a formal program in which the elements of music therapy, art therapy, musicianship come together, they're trying to harness those various streams together into um, a structured program that will translate from uh, a secondary school to a college campus to a vulnerable house, let's say, like Novus. Brilliant. And Rose, that interview is available on page 18 of this week's Limerick Post newspaper and online at limerickpost.ie. My very last city and soul reader, I promise you. I hope there's another 10 to come. Okay. Uh, to have words <laughs> okay. and then uh, looking over to the arts rose there's a show coming up in the lime tree next week oh i'm so excited about this show it's from a posh moneyed british company called middle ground who have all sorts of successful products under their belt such as the acclaimed courtroom drama the verdict um i got a, an interesting really interesting interview with sarah thomas because like boris she answers the question she's asked there's no fudge. And she plays Mrs. Marble in there's an Agatha Christie's 
Mrs. Marple, a murder is announced. Um, it's got a huge cast. Uh, it opens in Lime Tree on Monday night. I hope to review it and roll that out online. Miss um, Marple is visiting a pretty little village and uh, her nephew is a doctor there. She's in the village taking uh, sulfur baths for her rheumatism. <laughs> it's so true to life. And then um, an advertisement is posted in the local paper. That's us guys, the Limerick Post, your only local paper. The advertisement tells the public that a murder will take place in a very nice country house called Little Paddocks. So the neighbours read this. They think it's going to be a hoot. They crowd into the house. The lights go out. A shot rings out. <laughs> so they're after um, who done it, and Miss Marple is on the case. And please read about it in page eighty and online tomorrow. A proper murder mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastically glossy, well shot production. Rose, thank you for joining me in studio. And that's it for this week's Limerick Post News Roundup. I'm your host, Keen Reinhardt. I'd like to thank Rose Rush, our art for joining us today. Right back at you, Keen. Thanks for hosting me. Our head of news, Jerry Collison, Megan Scully from the Limerick Post Show, and our special guest, D. Ryan from Limerick Chamber, joining us this week. So that's it for this week's Limerick Post News Roundup. You can find all your news, sports, arts, entertainment, and much, much more on LimerickPost.e. And following the hashtag Keeping Limerick Posted across all social media channels. I'm your host, Keen Reinhardt, and we really are Keeping Limerick Posted. Posted.